This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoyi. Today, we are discussing family planning and the use of contraception. According to the National Health and Morbidity Survey 2022 on maternal and child health, only less than half of women of reproductive age or their partner use any contraceptive methods in Malaysia. So what is the impact of such low contraceptive use on the health and well-being of women and their families? And what are the unmet needs for family planning in our country? I have joining me in the studio today, Dr. Lavita Sivapadam, consultant obstetrician and gynecologist from Pantai Hospital, Kuala Lumpur, to share with us an overview of modern contraceptive methods and to hopefully address some of the common fears, concerns and misconceptions that people may have over the use of contraception. Dr. Lavita, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So call us with your questions. 03-777-32900 is the number to call. You can also WhatsApp our U-Mobile number at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. This is a topic that perhaps, um, you know, you may have some questions that you've never had the opportunity or been able to ask uh, a healthcare professional about it. And of course, um, you know, if you want to uh, maintain some anonymity when asking some questions, uh, you can also indicate that if you were to WhatsApp your messages into us. Um, Dr. Lavita, can I start with uh, some of those figures uh, or rather that, that, that um, overarching uh, national view that I quoted from the National Health and Morbidity Survey? Um, seems to me as a layperson to be quite disappointing in terms of contraceptive use. Can, can we uh, go through some of the key findings and what are your thoughts on these statistics? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the N. HMS 2022 found that the overall prevalence of our women using any kind of contraceptive contraceptive method was 42.8%. This is actually quite dismal mm. uh, <laughs> comparing it to the global average because um, the WHO data in the same year in 2022 showed the global contraceptive prevalence rate for any method at 65%. And the Malaysian uh, uh, survey showed only 34.5% of the, of the women were use, using modern contraceptive methods as opposed to 58.7% in the WHO numbers. Mm-hmm. So um, it is, um, we, we do seem to be like an outlier uh, compared to the global average. And this is indeed very concerning. Mm. Yeah. Um, I also noted that the unplanned pregnancy rate was 33%. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that is also um, lagging behind? Yes, because the international average is quoted at about 25%. So mm-hmm. again, we are an outlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, if we turn to um, what um, in the health context is to be achieved with family planning or, or is aimed to achieve through family planning, um, we are talking about limiting births as well as spacing births. Um, and again, from a health and medical point of view, why is it important for women and their partners to consider family planning? Okay, so let me 
cover spacing pregnancies first. So we do know that women who have children very close together, uh, not far apart, have got higher chances of adverse health outcomes. So when a pregnancy occurs less than 24 months after a birth, uh, the, the rates of adverse outcomes are higher. So the WHO actually recommends that birth to pregnancy interval should be at least 24 months and birth to birth interval should be at least 36 months, around mm. about there. So the adverse outcomes are actually maternal death, um, perinatal child death, miscarriages, preterm births, you know, having a stillborn baby or baby with growth restriction, um, low birth weight and maternal, maternal anemia. Um, in a specific group of women, especially in the adolescent girls, having contraception and access to family planning actually allows them to fulfill their, their potential um, when it comes to education opportunities and it also helps to empower them. Um, limiting is the other part of uh, contraception. So that usually depends on the mother's health. So in certain patients who have certain health conditions like heart disease or renal disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, which have complications or other autoimmune diseases, it may not be safe for them to have any pregnancies. So this is where contraception comes in again, where these patients need to be seen by a doctor, where we call this uh, pre-pregnancy counselling or pre-pregnancy clinics. And then the doctor then has to see them to decide whether it's safe for them to uh, get pregnant or not. The other thing I think about limiting pregnancies is also the financial limitations. I think if you are unable to financially, then you should consider delaying um, your pregnancies. When should a woman and her partner start actually thinking and planning for family planning, right? Um, yeah. Because... Uh, um, from just anecdotally, from conversations that I have, uh, it does seem to be something that uh, you maybe think about um, after uh, you've already become pregnant or in fact after several pregnancies, right? Yeah. So ideally, when should this conversation start happening? I think any woman who's sexually active and is not planning to get pregnant mm. should be thinking about, talking about and seeking advice about contraception. Ideally, of course, the decision should be made together with the partner um, after discussing what they want from the relationship and what their plans are. And if there's no plan for pregnancy, then contraception must be brought into the conversation. Because mm -hmm. every child should be planned and wanted, you mm. know. And um, who can they see or who can they have this conversation with? A healthcare professional. And who is a healthcare professional? This could be a nurse at the clinic Kesehatan. It could be your pharmacist. Um, who's in the pharmacy. It could be a doctor. And, you know, these are people who are trained to answer the questions about contraception. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think, again, anecdotally, just from personal experience, perhaps it's uh, something within our Malaysian society that um, <clears throat> we only even think to talk to a healthcare professional uh, about reproductive health when we get pregnant, right? Mm. Um, uh, it, it, do you think we need to perhaps as um, women who have daughters, um, start bringing our uh, uh, younger girls uh, to see healthcare professionals and for them to start talking about their reproductive health as well. Mm. I think 
what what you're talking about is actually uh, sexual and reproductive health education, comprehensive sexual and reproductive health education. This actually ideally should be done at an early age in schools um, where these girls are there in school um, and they can be given reliable uh, information from sources that they trust, which is which are their teachers. Mm. Um, and it is very important that this starts at a young age so that these girls, um, not just girls actually, boys as well. Uh, That's you know, true. Yeah, yeah. Who are, you know, they become aware of their bodies, their rights and their know what their options are um, so that they can make informed decisions about their health. There's enough research to show that comprehensive sexual and reproductive health education reduces the number of teenage pregnancies and unplanned pregnancies. Mm, yeah. Mm. I mean, that's <clears throat> another huge conversation that could go on for several episodes, <laughs> um, you know, where we are in terms of uh, comprehensive sexual education. Um Coming back very briefly to the NHMS survey, mm-hmm. it found that the prevalence of unmet needs for family planning was 26.7%. Mm-hmm. I wanted to use that figure to explore what you have observed from your years of practice. What do you find makes it difficult for women to um, start using contraceptives or, or you know, what stops them perhaps? What are their barriers? Mm-hmm. So uh, again, back to the figure, um, the unmet needs in the survey was 26.7% and the global rate is actually 16. Again, makes us uh, an outlier Mm. in this sense. Um, I think there are many factors that affect or um, make it difficult for women to start using contraceptives. One of it could be the lack of awareness, lots of myths, misconceptions, Um, knowledge uh, regarding this. The other major major, uh, factor, I would think, is access. Access could mean logistics, like if somebody lives very far away from the clinic. Finances is the other thing. Um, In women who are unmarried, there is also that fear of judgment Mm. that may make them not want to seek advice. with regards to access, we now teach healthcare professionals about something called the quick start method. So quick start means you can come to the clinic or see a doctor or a nurse or a pharmacist at any time in your cycle. Mm. Traditionally, we, we used to say you must come within the first seven days of your period to get contraception. But now with this quick start there are certain things that certain things that need to be uh, looked into, but most women should be able to get contraception on the day that they come and ask for it without having to make a second visit. And this is um, something that has come about to make access easier for women, because like so, I used to work in Sabah, and you know, access um, mm. logistics is was and remains a nightmare. Um, So women come from very far away and then you come to the clinic and the doctor says, oh no, you are on day so-and-so of Mm. your cycle, so you can't have your contraception come back the next month. And she doesn't because she probably got pregnant the next month and Mm. that's what happens. Mm. Um, There are also women who breastfeed who don't have their periods. So you can't wait for periods to start because many women who breastfeed don't have periods, but they are already fertile at that time. So again, this quick start method is uh, something that is um, 
uh, important to improve access to contraception. Are we able to do quick start because of the different types of contraceptives that can be used? Yes, so there are guidelines for each and every type of contraceptive to be able to use quick start. Basically, if you come on a certain day of your cycle, the doctor just has to be reasonably sure that you're not pregnant based on a few questions that they might ask you. And then based on that, they can start. So most women will, will be eligible to have contraception using the quick start method. All right. Mm. <clears throat> we will um, explore the various contraceptive options that are available for women today and, of course, talk about side effects, safety, effectiveness, things like that. But very quickly, Dr. Lavita, you talked about the health benefits of limiting and spacing births uh, in terms of avoiding those adverse outcomes. And that's very much a health medical kind of um, perspective. Um, but from the social perspective, mm. the social benefits of family planning, um, that emotional and mental well-being of mothers and uh, the well-being of their families, um, what would you say are those benefits? So when you space out your pregnancies, you give that child time to bond with the parents. So that's very important. If another child comes along, you know, within a year, then this child loses that opportunity, that time to bond with their parents. That's one. The other is, so because the recommendation is to get pregnant two years, when the child is two years old. So by the time the new baby comes along, the child will be two plus. And at that point, the child might be more um, ready uh, and able to accept a sibling. So those are the social uh, Parts of, mm. you know, using contraception. Mm. Mm. All right, we'll continue this conversation after the break. You can call us with your questions related to family planning and contraception. The number is 03-777-32900. You can also WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. I'm speaking to Dr. Lavita Sivapadam, consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist at Pantai Hospital, Kuala Lumpur. This is Health & Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik, and my guest in the studio with me today, Dr. Lavita Sivapadam, consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist at Pantai Hospital Kuala Lumpur. We are discussing family planning and the various types of contraceptives that can be used by women and their partners um, to either limit or space their births, depending on the um, situations uh, that uh, and their, their respective situations and needs, I suppose. Um, you can call us with your questions, 03-7733-2900. You can also WhatsApp our U-Mobile number, 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio if you have questions about contraception for Dr. Lavita. I want to dive into the different modern contraceptive um, options that are available for women uh, today. But we have, and perhaps this is this question from our listeners, a very good reminder that um, not to take for granted that everybody understands what we're talking about. And the question is, what is what are contraceptives? Um, and I think that's that's perhaps. If we're talking about um, some lack of awareness uh, on the part of um, members of the public, this is a good point to, un to explain this. Yes. Yeah. So what is contraception is the question. So contraception is basically family planning methods. What is family planning methods? Uh, these are methods that you can use 
which can be medication, uh, certain uh, things, uh, instruments, devices, devices um, or natural methods uh, that are used to space out pregnancies or to prevent pregnancies. So in a nutshell, that's what contraception means. Mm, yeah. mm. Um, and there are many different types mm. uh, that are available thanks to a lot of medical advances today. Do you want to walk us through some of these main categories? Sure. Mm. So there, the ones that I and I think most gynecologists or doctors would advocate for is something known as long-acting reversible contraceptives or LARCs, L-A-R-C-S. So LARCs are methods that are reliable because it is not user-dependent. So the failure rates are, are very low. So the LARCs um, that are available include the contraceptive, contraceptive implant and also the intrauterine devices. So the contraceptive implant is a small rod, which is the size about of a matchstick, about four centimeters in length, and it is inserted below the skin on your arm. Um, it is done in the clinic under local anesthetic. It is good for three years, um, and once your once the three years is up, you can remove it. The other method is an intrauterine device. This is a little device which is about three, four centimetres, which is inserted into the uterus or the womb. And this is also usually done in the clinic. There are two types. One has got a hormone on the rod and the other is just something that has copper. So both these things sit inside the womb and make the environment of the womb not conducive for, uh, for conception to occur. Mm. So the... Intrauterine devices last for five years. There is also now, um, maybe over the past four years or so, um, intrauterine device insertion that is given to patients immediately after delivery. So this is called postpartum intrauterine device or PPIUD. Mm. This is done, can be done after caesarean section or can be done after normal delivery. Mm. What this does is that when a woman leaves the hospital after her delivery, she goes home with the contraceptive device method in place. So mm. she doesn't need to come back to the clinic, you know, six weeks later, or two months later to get contraception. Mm. Um, for both these devices, the implant or the IUD, intrauterine device, even though the time... It, is, it lasts for three years and five years. If you decide to have a pregnancy after two years, you can always see a doctor and get it removed. But the main thing is that you have to wake up that morning, make a decision that you want to remove it, and then go and see a doctor and remove it. So the pregnancy that you're going to have is going to be planned. And that is the main thing. Mm. The other methods that are available, of course, injections, the pills, and you know condoms, these are all user-dependent. That means if you forget to take the pill or if you forgot to take the injection, then there is a chance of pregnancy. Mm. So the efficacy of the long-acting reversible contraceptives are more than 99%, whereas with the injection is about 94%, with the pill is about 91%. And the condom is actually only 82% mm. effective. Yep. Yep. And um, there are... Of course, I, I think the those are the, 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 it's in the name, isn't it? It's reversible mm. so that you can plan, um, you know, between your pregnancies. And mm. like you said, when you made that decision that you want another child, 
um, you go and see your doctor. Um, but there, um, for um, a woman who decides she no longer wants uh, children, mm. um, are there permanent methods? Yes. So the permanent methods can be for men or for women. So the one for women are, is called a tubal ligation. This is basically a surgical pr- procedure. That means you have to go under anesthesia and then you have a little surgery with some cuts on your tummy. And then we find this part called the fallopian tube and then we cut it. Basically, the fallopian tube is the highway where mm. the sperm and the egg meets. Mm. So we cut off that highway mm-hmm. and that's how you have a permanent form of contraception. The mm. same with for men, it's called a vasectomy. Um, where a certain part is uh, of the tube is cut and then you have a contraception. Mm. Can I just add that in the N- M- NHMS survey, the um, uh, usage of long-acting reversible contraceptives is actually very, very low and I think it is cause for concern. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot more we need to do about awareness to try and make people... Um, be more accepting of these contraceptive methods because they are really the most reliable ones around. When you say low, how mm. low are they? I mean, is the usage? So the survey found that um, for IUDs or intrauterine devices, it was only 6.2% and for the implant was 5.5%. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know um, there are sort of natural methods as well, which I'll get to a little later. But, you know, with the, um, I guess, vast variety that uh, uh, women and their partners can sort of look at um, and choose from, how how do women decide um, which method would suit them best? Mm, It depends on the woman's preference. So if I see a patient who comes to me for contraceptive advice, I would give them all the available options and then try to suit it according to their needs. If it is somebody who is, you know, has three or four children, is very busy um, with work and stuff. So a long acting reversible contraceptive is probably the best for her um, because taking a pill every day is something that she may forget and then get accidentally pregnant. Mm. So most of the time we advocate for these long acting reversible contraceptives um, to women of all um, ages. Mm. Mm. Yep. <clears throat> um, does it so f- at a particular point in a woman's life, mm. um, she may have this conversation with uh, her her gynae or her doctor, um, choose a method. Um, but you know, women go through different phases as well, um, and their sort of reproductive needs also change. Um, would the methods that um, she should use also change with her over time? So this is usually a personal preference um, on what they want to have. Um, The other thing is also medical conditions or other comorbid conditions they may have which may make certain contraceptive options not suitable for them. And this changes um, as women grow older. Mm. So these are things that are quite specific to the person and um, it, you, know, you need to see, a, see the guy and you see a doctor to, to go through the list and see what's most suitable. But somebody who is you know, in early reproductive age group should have 
the best contraception, I would say, mm. uh, to prevent an unplanned, unwanted pregnancy. Mm. And, and speaking of age, um, mm. do you find that there is a, a belief uh, that if you hit a certain age, you don't need um, to practice family planning at all? Uh, and and I, I bring this up because uh, a listener has messaged in to say, I've, I've been married for more than 10 years, I have no children, um, uh, and... I'm going to summarize it a little bit. I'm now 41 and husband is 52, I think. Um, and therefore, um, contraceptives uh, are not uh, relevant for me, right? I, I also want to say 41 is not old because I'm <laughs> beyond that age. <laughs> but but what do you think? And, and what is your advice um, for women uh, perhaps uh, above 40? Um, I think it's the same. As long as you don't want to have an unplanned pregnancy, then you should be on a contraceptive method. And as long as you haven't hit menopause yet. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So women can be 50 and still having periods and still get pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, it happens. So there is no... As long as you're having your periods means that there is a possibility that you may get pregnant. The possibility may be very low. But it's at that age where you don't want to have an unplanned pregnancy because your risks are higher. Mm. So I would say your 41 is not old, as you say. <laughs> um, and in this, in her case, she probably wants to have a baby. So maybe she doesn't require contraception because she does want to have a baby. Mm. Mm. All right. Um, but best to see your healthcare professional yes. to talk about it. Yep. Um, when it comes to using contraceptives, and I think especially the ones um, that are hormone-based, mm. uh, there are many concerns about side effects and safety. Can we walk through some of these? Um, I, I want to touch on something that perhaps may not seem like... Um, uh, clinical concern, yeah. uh, weight gain, mm. but but it does um, turn many women off um, because there are lots of implications, of course, um, uh, on women. Uh, let, let's walk through some of this. Um, so, you know, what types of contraceptives may cause weight gain, and how could women manage that? Okay, so many women will tell you they put on weight because they took the pill. So any hormonal contraception, there is a concern about that. But it also must be remembered that women tend to gain weight as they grow older. It's a fact, regardless of whether they're taking contraception or not. Um, weight gain can be due to a lot of factors like lifestyle, exercise, uh, eating behaviours. The evidence clearly shows that oral contraceptives or oral hormones, um, the contraceptive implant, and the intrauterine uh, device which contains hormones do not cause weight gain. But the hormonal injections, the depot, which is a three-monthly injection, there is some evidence to say that it does uh, cause weight gain. Mm. So a lot of times it is a lot of reassurance um, and uh, telling women that the evidence is there to say that it doesn't cause the weight gain. Mm. Mm. Um, any... Um effects on moods and uh, mood swings and p potentially mood disorders? Yes. Um, hormones can do this. Um, so what I tell my patients is that unfortunately there's no one size fits all or there's no formula to say which contraceptive hormonal method is going to be good for you and it's not going to cause you mood swings. 
Um, so it's always a trial and error. You need to try, like for the contraceptive pill, there are so many different brands. So they try one, keep to it for about three months before they decide if it's really causing them a lot of uh, mood problems. Mm-hmm. If it does, then change and try something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but telling women upfront that this is something they may face makes it easier for them to handle it when it does happen. And if it doesn't, then all well and good. All right. We'll go for a quick break and then come back to look at some of the other perhaps more concerning potential um, side effects of uh, contraceptives. And that is the risk of cancer and blood clots and how much truth is in there and what women need to look out for. I'm speaking to Dr. Lavita Sivapadam, consultant obstetrician and gynecologist from Pantai Hospital, Kuala Lumpur. You can call us with your questions about family planning and contraceptives, 03-7733-2900. You can also WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik and Dr. Lavita Sivapadam is joining me in the studio today. She's a consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist at Pantai Hospital, Kuala Lumpur. We're talking about family planning and contraceptives. You can call us with your questions at 03-7733-2900, WhatsApp our mobile number 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio with your questions. We were discussing potential side effects of contraceptives, the various types that are available. Um, And I'd like to address some of the more concerning ones um, related to the potential risk of uh, cancer, Dr. Lavita. Um, What does the evidence show us? uh, Which types of uh, contraceptives should we be looking out for? So we do know that the risk of breast cancer is very slightly increased with using the pill, the oral contraceptive pill. But it increases with the longer you take the pill. And the risk actually reduces once you stop. And within five years of stopping, your risk of getting cancer goes back to what the normal population is. Mm. But, you know, as women, it is always important that you do your own breast self-examination every month after your period um, to pick up any lumps. And if you're concerned, then you should see a doctor. Mm. Um, and that's breast cancer. Yep. Any other types of cancers? So actually the pill, the contraceptive pill, has got a lot of protective effects. It actually reduces the risk of ovarian cancer, reduces the risk of endometrial uh, cancer as well. But other than breast cancer, there's no real other association mm-hmm. with the um, hormonal contraceptives. So how do you balance this out um, if a woman decides that a pill is actually something, a method that she's comfortable with, uh, but is afraid of of that increased risk of breast cancer. Mm. So the advice again is to examine, see your doctor regularly, do a self-breast examination. And if the fear is too much, if they are too worried about it, Mm. then there are so many other methods of contraception that are available that, will not be related to the breast cancer. It's like the intrauterine device, which is copper. It's non-hormonal, so it's not going to cause any problems. Mm. So, you know, don't be put off contraception just because of that, because there are other methods around. Mm. Um, Women are also concerned if they have to take a pill 
for long term if we're talking about years. Um, again, is there any evidence that shows women shouldn't be on a pill for so long? Is there a, I don't know, maximum amount of time? Not really. There isn't. Um, as long as they, they, they are comfortable with the pill and it's doing what it's supposed to do, there is actually no limit. I just met a patient a few months ago who was on the pill for 16 years. Mm. Um, so, you know, there are women who take the pill for long terms and they don't have any issues. Mm. Mm. What about the risk of blood clots? Mm. So the risk of blood clots or what we say venous thromboembolism, that means clots in the legs or, or sometimes it can travel to the lungs. There is an increased risk um, with taking hormonal uh, contraceptives, um, but the risk reduces um, as, as you take it for longer. So the risk is highest in the first few months of use. As you go on taking it, then the risk goes down. Um, the other thing also is that you shouldn't, if you're taking the contraceptive pill, you shouldn't be starting and stopping, starting and stopping. Because every time you stop and start again, your risk goes back to what it was in the first place. So if you start taking the pill, then you should just go on taking it for however long that you want to. Um, although the, the risk is very low, so when I talk to my patients about the oral contraceptive pill, I always tell them that if you feel that you've got leg swelling, a calf swelling, then you need to come and see a doctor immediately to, to make sure there is no blood clot. But the absolute risk is actually very low. Um, the quote is between 5 and 12 per 10,000 women per year of use compared to 2 uh, per 10,000 per year of use in non-combined uh, pill users. So the increase in risk is actually very, very slight. Women must also understand that getting a blood clot during pregnancy and during the postpartum or post-delivery period it's much, much higher than getting a blood clot when you're taking the pill. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, are there other um, concerns over side effects or safety issues that, you've, uh, that you'd like to highlight or that you've heard patients um, bringing up to you? Mm. These are the main things that we talk about to patients. Mm. Um, most women want to know about breast cancer. Uh, blood clots are not actually very well, uh, most haven't heard of it, but mm. these are things that a doctor would, talk to you about mm. there are other mild side effects like with the implant you might have some irregular periods or spotting with the pill you may have nausea vomiting or feeling a little bit lightheaded but usually these are very mild side effects that go away after some time mm. with the intrauterine device uh, the one with the hormones we call it the intrauterine system women have very light periods or sometimes no periods at all and for women who used to have heavy periods, this is actually a very good thing. We use it to treat them as well. Mm. Mm. Can you address the use of emergency or morning after uh, pill as a family planning method? Is it advisable? <laughs> so emergency contraception or emergency pill is for emergencies. Read <laughs> <laughs> the name, read the label. <laughs> yes. So it is not something that you use for long-term contraception. Mm. Um, what are emergencies? Emergencies are if the condom broke or you didn't put it on on time or if you are on the injection and you missed the, the date 
or if you're on an implant or an IUD and you've gone beyond the three years or the five years, mm. then that's when you use emergency contraception. <laughs> but if you're using emergency contraception more than twice in a month, then you should be thinking about using something long term. Mm-hmm. The intrauterine device can also be used for emergency uh, as an emergency contraception and the benefit is that you can leave it there for longer as a long-term contraception. Mm. And um, speaking of methods, <clears throat> I want to look now at sort of so-called natural or traditional methods. Um, and in the NHMS survey, uh, 9.6% of um, people were using the withdrawal method. Uh, there's also things like counting your days of the cycle and things like that. Um, how reliable are these and why are people still using these methods? So these natural methods are quite unreliable. The efficacy rate, I think, is at 70 over percent or something. But um, people still continue to use it maybe because once you learn how to use it, you don't need to see a doctor again. For example, counting your days. You just learn it once and then you can figure it out on your own. But period cycles vary due to stress, due to travel, due to lots of things. And because of that, the counting days method can be unreliable. Um, the same with the withdrawal method. If it is not on time, then there is a risk of um, pregnancy. The reason people still use it is because it is acceptable for to most cultures, to most religions. Um, you don't need to take injections. You don't need to put any chemicals in your body. And to people who live far away in remote areas, there's lack of access to modern methods and this might might be another reason. In Malaysia, we are very blessed because contraception is available for almost free in a clinic, uh, government clinics or clinic kesihatan. They pay one ringgit fee and they can get the contraception. But something that sometimes we forget is that they need to get to the clinic. Mm. And, you know, if you live, so as I said, I worked in Sabah for many years and if you live far away from the clinic, just that that money that you need to pay for transport may cost a lot more than that one ringgit. And that's another problem. So I guess this is why people stick to withdrawal methods and counting days because they don't have any other choices. Mm. Mm. Uh, How is breastfeeding as a method of family planning? How reliable is that as well? Okay, so that's called lactational amenorrhea method or LAM. Um, breastfeeding can be used as a contraceptive method, but there are very specific criteria for using it. One, the child must be fully breastfed. Uh, the breastfeeding must be on demand. She shouldn't have mixed feeds at all. Um, if any of these criteria are not met, then it cannot be used as a method of contraception. Mm. Many women who breastfeed don't have their periods for 18, 24 months. But that doesn't mean that they are infertile. They might, they can still ovulate and still have no menses or no periods. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. pregnancy can still happen. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, coming back to access, uh, and and you did say that, of course, in our public health facilities. Um, contraceptives are practically free. Uh, but of course, a, a significant population of urban women would seek private uh, health care. Have you ever heard women saying that um, cost is an issue for them? Certain, certain contraceptive methods are more expensive. So the long-acting reversible contraceptives are more expensive than 
taking the pill or using a condom. But it's more expensive because the upfront cost is higher. That means when they they have to come up with the money in the beginning. But when you divide it over five years and over the number of months, it still works out to be cheaper than buying a packet of contraceptive tablets every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it so we, you, we do sit down with the patient and do the calculation and tell them that, look, it is still cheaper in the long term. And far cheaper than an unplanned pregnancy. Oh, course. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the economics work out there, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, I just want to very quickly touch on this aspect of uh, sort of, you know, women and their partners um, bearing the, that responsibility, right? We've, we're talking a lot about methods that are used by women. And of course, that's great because um, women can be in control of um, what suits them best. Uh, but when it comes to what men can do, uh, are we really coming down to condoms and vasectomies, right? Yeah, Un- <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> that's, those are the only methods available for men. There has been some research ongoing about contraceptive pills for men. And this research has been going on for some time. But I think they have hit quite a bit of... Uh, I- there have been some issues. And so it's not that readily available yet for men. So unfortunately, it's still condoms or vasectomy. Mm. Mm. Uh, I, I, I will be looking forward to um, where that research goes, I think. Uh, but let's wrap up, Dr. Lavita, uh, with a message for our audience about... Um, if there are still any misconceptions or especially taboos that might be stopping us from um, addressing family planning uh, as a public health need, uh, as an important um, health and social benefit for women and for their families, uh, what message would you like to leave us with? Um, I think women, contraception should be a woman's right. Every woman should have the right to choose how many children she wants to have, what kind of contraception she wants to use. And the taboos surround things like single women having difficulty to access contraception or adolescents having difficulties. And a lot of this stems from um, society, sometimes even healthcare professionals. So in I, me and a group of people, we train healthcare professionals and try to um, get them to reduce their, uh, their personal beliefs in, access, uh, and in treating patients and keep things professional so that women have a chance to get what they want. Um, the other thing is that um, the other issue I think women face is that many of them are dependent on their partners or their husbands for financial needs and uh, that might be another problem with access to um, contraception. Mm. Yep. Um, hopefully we can continue to um, push the needle, have more of these open conversations and maybe in the next NHMS survey, hopefully we'll see better numbers. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Lavita Sivapadam, consultant obstetrician and gynecologist from Pantai Hospital, Kuala Lumpur. We have been discussing family planning and contraception. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.